So today's episode is Dr. Fern Caslow, Dr. K to her friends, and she is just a ball of energy and wisdom. What do you think, Maurice? Yeah, this is a fantastic conversation that you definitely should um, take a time to watch. Yeah. When I say take the time, it was an extensive conversation. <laughs> and we just ended because we decided it had to stop here and we definitely got have to go back. But it's super interesting what we talked about. It's a lot of life, life lessons in there. It's a lot of lessons for entrepreneurs and high yeah. achievers in there. A lot, of, a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom. It's a lot of anything, everything. And there's a bit of dark <laughs> stories in there too. So yeah. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoy it as much uh, as we did um, doing the interview, doing having the chat uh, with Dr. K. And yeah, sit back, relax, maybe get a drink and um, enjoy this amazing, amazing interview. All right, you guys, let's get this started then, right? Because really, what could go wrong once you press record? Right? Exactly, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's all going to be very perfect. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the number one AI podcast in the world. Oh, sorry, I asked ChatGPT to write the intro. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Crazy People Podcast, everybody. I am Russ over there in chair number one is the captain of curiosity, Maurice Hoffman. And then also today with us, Dr. Fern Caslow, Dr. K to her friends. So welcome. Welcome, everybody. This is great. I'm excited to be here. Um, great to meet you, Maurice. Russ and I have met a little bit. So I'm excited about where we go from here. Absolutely. My, uh, my pleasure and our pleasure. And thanks so much for coming on our show and blessing our show with your presence. I obviously dug into um, your, your CV a little bit, but before we started the camera, we started about talking dark <laughs> and um, we talked about that you are training dog trainers right now. You're coaching them. So that is something that I find wildly interesting and we start off a little in the zigzag because zigzag is kind of our pattern something um, we do yeah. off the <laughs> a little a little different than we usually do and come back to the normal intro a little later so the the dog coaching the coaching of dog trainers that is something i really want to kick it so, off so yeah so i'm in the process of creating a program for for dog trainers uh, I've worked in different aspects of what's called the human companion animal bond, right? For years, everything from the relationship with people and their pets, which there was a time that people used to say a lot more, it's just a dog. You don't hear that so much. You do hear it sometimes. And I've worked consulting to veterinarians and veterinary practices because uh, that's a really stressful, stressful road. People get very, oh, the vet, great life, make a lot of money, but actually it's not true. And they have a, one of the highest suicide rates. Wow. Uh, yeah. Or veterinarians. And there's a lot of reasons that we don't need to go into now, but there's a lot of reasons that make a lot of sense, um, which is really sad to me because, you know, they're so important. And now there's a big veterinary shortage. So for me, one of the things that my work with animals and humans. It's always been animals and humans. So that gives me a little different perspective because, you know, I've been a clinical psychotherapist for people forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had dogs in my sessions, literally um, my entire practice. Uh, I have worked in various aspects of the bond and different practices. And one of the things that I saw first was that people were using their dogs as drugs. And people were, were kind of applauding that, you know, the whole emotional support. 
-hmm. And I think mm -hmm. there's two big things about that that are really important to know. One is that um, it speaks to how important dogs are to us. So people get really angry. They're just trying to get away with stuff and everything, and they don't understand how key that relationship really is. I mean, life-saving for so many, or life-enhancing as opposed to life not being so great. It's not just it saves your life, but it changes your life. Um, the other part is that we really don't maximize the potential of that, even though, I mean, so many of us like love our dogs. If you say to me, life without dogs, you know, just, I can't even, can't even go there. Um, but we don't maximize it. What we do is we use them to cope with our feelings. We don't use them to their full potential, which is to really be a gateway to our fullest growth. And when I do workshops and I'll ask people, okay, I want you to think about something that turns your lights on, okay? Almost always it's their pet or their friend's pet, the childhood pet, the pet they're thinking about getting. Now, not 100%, but huge, huge numbers. So I've started putting together a program that has to do with people and their pets so that they can use them to grow instead of just putting band-aids all over the place and then having the dogs because the dogs pick up our negative emotions and closer we are, or not, I don't want to say negative, they pick up our, our emotions. And mm -hmm. a lot of them, they don't know how to process, like the anxiety, depression, fear, they just don't know what to do with that. So they, they take it in because their purpose is really to be here for us, but it shouldn't be at their expense. So that's part of it. One of the key places that you can do it is one, working with people and their pets, which I've done and putting together some programs, but also the trainers. So we've moved a lot, and this gets directly to your question. Um, we've moved a lot from the place where trainers were very about the alpha, right? And there were some very famous people that were all about, you have to show them who's in charge mm -hmm. to a place that's much more relationship-based. It's much more looking at the dog, seeing what they need, um, positive reinforcement, sometimes even to a fault where, where trainers don't see that you know, not every dog is going to be totally responsive to, you know, a piece of beef jerky. Um, and, you know, dogs have to be treated like people differently. Never, well, people do. I would never do the same treatment for everybody in therapy or in mentoring. Same thing with a dog. And so most trainers have gone into training because they love dogs. And so this progress from, I love a dog, but I'm going to dominate the dog to, we're going to look at, how to get the dog without that get manipulative, but more collaborating, which is really my thing, all about co-creating and collaborating. But one of the parts that gets missed is the relationship with the owner. So I will hear, I'm in a lot of classes studying and I hear the trainers, so I'm with all these trainers, right? And they talk about how it's always the person's fault. It's the human, the human, if they could handle, you know, if the human was just different. And so, Part of my mission is really, it's always about collaboration and co-creation and relationship because all healing happens in relationship, whether it's dog or human or cat or whatever it is. So it's to help the trainers see the people more positively and learn how to bring out the best because people are shamed. They're like doing it wrong. They're, you know, they're, people are so frustrated by the time they get to a trainer, unless there's somebody that is proactive and takes their little puppy to the puppy class, but they are shamed about how they're doing it. We're made to shame. It's like your fault if you have a reactive dog, 
Well, there's a lot of reactive dogs for a lot of reasons. Um, and we have a lot of amazing humans trying to help those dogs and they're getting shamed. And the trainers were the ones who I would love to see helping that in a better way. They get frustrated with the humans as well. And then the people don't want to go back. They yeah. don't want to go back. Yeah. And then it compounds that feeling of the trainer that the people just like, you know, look. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting to me what we could do and the potential for the relationship. So to me, it's like us and our dogs living our life purpose in the healthiest, happiest life that we both can have, or all can have in my case, because I have a pack at home um, <laughs> that we can all have together. So coaching, um, training dog trainers is really interesting because I realized I train uh, human therapists or all therapists are human, but no, you know, therapists for humans. Although I guess some people would say the dogs are therapists. I train coaches and consultants. And so it's a natural to not only work with the people in the past, but I realized like, let's get in there and work with the dog trainers, the vets, all of those people as well. Yeah, that is, that is super interesting because uh, as you ever, as I've showed you just before the call, I have a, have a Labrador, right? By the way, this dog eats everything. He had a he had a stomach issue, and the, the vet was like, "Oh, we need to put it." Oh no, it's Kobe. And then he was like, and then she was like, just gave the pill to the dog, and the dog was happy. It was a treat, and <laughs> ate the, whatever, even cough medicine, he just said <laughs> uh, and whatever. But yeah, when we got the puppy, because neither my wife nor myself, I grew up with a dog, but I didn't have a dog in the meantime. We went to a friend of mine. Uh, she's a dog trainer and I went to her like okay here's the puppy here's me now teach me how to handle the dog and she was so astonished by this approach because I was like it's not so much a dog that needs training it's me needing, needing training and how to handle a dog right mm -hmm. and she was like oh this is unique uh, I haven't heard that uh, right you'd think it was so obvious but it's not people come in with what they enjoy trainers love dogs yeah and especially because whenever we were at the training and i was like he's not doing that and she it took her like all but 10 seconds to make the dog do exactly that thing i was like okay it's not the dog the dog knows how to do that thing obviously it's me needing to learn how to tell him what to do mm -hmm. and but it's also I interesting because you said an interesting word that um we all kind of do and i even did it before when we were talking you said make him do yeah. Right. And I think a really good what I like to call a mind shift, right, is, you know, to in, to help him to do to help him want to do to help create that, because I think one of the big things that's been an issue in our relationship, not that dogs should, you know, be able to do anything, pee and poop all over the house, you know, go into the refrigerator for themselves, <laughs> um, etc. But I think that idea of making them do things is really interesting because I always say making, if you watch the dog, it's like making at what price? So how do you get them to want to cooperate? Like there are people that ask me to do things that I don't want to do and I don't do them. And then there are other people that ask me to do things that really, eh, but I'll do them because I want to please them. I want to, yeah. you know, that's really important. As long as it's not something against my values or something, I'm happy to do it. Dogs want to please us, but when we make it that we're making them, 
we're kind of creating something that can shut them down instead of opening the joyfulness. So it really takes, I mean, I'm really excited that you spoke it that way to your trainer because it really is seeing the dog and the pet owners, parents, however you want to hold them, and then seeing what works for that combination. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about your origin story. Because I, from everything that I read about you and read of you, it seems to be coming a little bit from a different perspective, from a different direction than <laughs> people that I that I read about before, right? Especially from, I don't want to say your business because that's, you know, not all psychologists are the same, right? Obviously. Um, but what made, what, what made you, you, in a sense, your, your approach? What is your red line there? Okay, that's a great question um, because I, you know, we are different. We are good for different people. I learn every day who I'm more for and who I'm not more for. Um, but I think for me, bottom line, or a couple of things. First of all, I always say that if you had a charmed life, charmed childhood, you don't become a therapist. I don't know what you become, but it's not a therapist. So most of us really have had challenges that hopefully we've worked through or worked on because some of them keep coming back, but not everybody. Um, and for me, one of the things that has always been an issue was, I guess, a couple of things. One of them is that idea of being told what limitations are, what mm -hmm. I can't do, what somebody else can't do. Even now when I talk about it, you can see it's like, you know, no, like I used to say, help me, support me, stay out of my way. Just don't tell me it can't be done <laughs> until I learned that if you told me it couldn't be done, it just got me more like psyched up to to prove that I can do it. And it wasn't out of being like the, some people go there out of competitiveness. For me, it was about, I hated limitation on mm -hmm. what's possible. And I actually started my work back in the second grade. I know that sounds really funny, but I was this little kid with a big mouth and I had a teacher. She was not very nice. And there was a little girl in the class that was challenged. Okay. She was what we used to call retarded, right? And so the teacher kind of wrote her off. And one day I just couldn't take it anymore. And how I did this, I mean, this was a time I was really lucky I was a girl because the little boys used to get like taken over the knee and hit in school and stuff like that. So I was pretty lucky because she was mad because I looked at her and I said, I can teach her better than you can. You're not being right to her. And she just turned colors. I mean, she was just so angry. And, you know, in that moment, I knew it was good that I was a girl because it would have been bad. And she said to me, you think you can do it better than me? And I was like, yeah. And she said, now she's your responsibility. She said, every day after work, after school, you know, after you've done your work in school, you teach her. You think you could do it better than me? You go teach her. And I was like, great, I'm bored anyway. So that's what happened. And so this, you know, she was second grade, she started to make really good strides um, way beyond what anybody thought she could do. I mean, obviously she didn't become like a high achiever, but she did amazing. And then the school started referring me other kids. And so this was really the beginning of my private practice. And it's kind of funny because it started with kids who were slow, but the area that I focus on really are high achievers particularly high achiever entrepreneurs, professionals, CEOs, but high achievers, because they have a very different set 
of issues uh, and similar issues often that are expressed in different ways. So for many, many years, over 30, I've spent 100,000 hours plus focused on training, teaching, therapy, mentoring, studying high achievers. So it started with somebody that was, you know, on a spectrum that people just didn't even think they could do it, but helping her to step into her potential laid the groundwork for me doing what I've done for a very, very long time, which is helping high achievers be even more successful. And that's not just about money. Okay. It includes money, but it really is about stepping into their power in an authentic way, not a fake way, not a mm-hmm. way that burns them out. Um, I'm really talking about it. Maybe you saw on my site, like a new power paradigm, because people are taught to be fake now yeah. and it's not working so well for us. No. So it's really teaching them to unlock their own power potential in a very connected, collaborative way, which I believe the world so desperately needs now. I think we need a lot of people coming together, which is why I formed the Power Collaborative, to make a difference in the world, working with each other in the ways that we do have our own gifts. But it really is about collaborating and stepping into your own power. Um, and that really has been what my life is about. I mean, you know, it's really been about girls can't do that. Oh, yeah, watch me. Um, you know, I, I don't confess, I don't think I've ever confessed this on a podcast before. So um, I'm not sure how many people I want to actually hear this, but I am not tall. I do claim to be five seven. Um, and people say when they meet me, you're not tall. And I'm like, because I don't tell them that, but they assume that. And if they ask me, I'll say something. Um, but I always had that feeling of big. And one of my patients said to me something very interesting once because she was shorter than me. I'm not that short, even though I kind of said, you want to know how tall I really am or what it says on my license? Because I think how tall I really am <laughs> is how I feel about it, right? Um, dangerous today with identification possibilities. Um, but what was interesting was that my patient said to me, Dr. K, because she, she said, I don't think you would have had nearly the power and impact that you've had if you were tall. She said, you had to fight for so many things and presence, because I used to go on stage with doctors, male doctors that were six something, right? I'm, clearly, I would be the one who was not anywhere near their size. We'd stand on stage, we'd sit on the stools and any way you did it, they were towering. Um, and it, people that are not as tall, it really is, you know, I mean, look at Tony Robbins as a phenomenon. Part of that is his size. So she said to me, she really believed that the power that I had developed had to do with a reaction to how people reacted. I mean, in first grade, I was called a shrimp. I mean, I didn't like that a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's an interesting topic because I, I had a discussion with somebody um, just a few weeks ago and she asked me if you could would you change anything in life and um, growing up wasn't definitely wasn't easy right I grew up in a small German town where I couldn't go to certain parts of town and people would throw stones at me and whatever but it made me very quick in analyzing people are they friend or foe right? And creating the empathy and creating a skill in kind of, I don't want to say manipulating people, um, but 
positioning my relationship with people in such a way that they are positive and I get along with them, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously I would like to not have stones thrown at me and mm -hmm. uh, going through that experience. Then again, I wouldn't be the person that I am right now without that experience, yeah. right? Because I didn't have that, in air quotes, training at a young age, right? Um, so I, I, I like your concept there that at the, at, at the end of the day, we are our experiences and our experiences and our unique situation make us, right? So if you, if you were six foot tall, if I was, I don't know, living somewhere else or be a tall blonde guy, um, I might not be the person that I am, right? Exactly, exactly. So, interesting. And it, it's interesting because I look at a lot of things in terms of our purpose and, you know, there's uh, that way of looking at life that life happens to me or life happens for me. And I've been talking about like a next level of that with a friend because he said, I decided that I'm going to look at everything that happens as I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And I said to him, that's what I talk about in session, because the next step from life happens for me is what do you do with it? right? How are you aligned with it? So if you take the challenge and not only don't say, oh, it happened to me, it happened for me, but then act accordingly, you are on your purpose. So even if you maybe not, don't get a specific job or contract or your book doesn't get the contract it wants or whatever, you are on your purpose. And then that is winning because I believe that we're here in life with a purpose. I haven't said before about like dogs, right? Their purpose is to be here for us, but they shouldn't be slammed in the process, they should be able to live fully, joyfully in that process. So when we take that life is happening to me, to for me, to what do I do with it? And it doesn't mean we have to feel good about it. I've had a lot of life and death situations. I've had, I had a major, I call it an accident in quotes, because I'm not, I don't really believe in accidents, but it was an event. And one of the things that was pivotal in my career and my work um, it actually happened right when I had a major, major media campaign. I was booked on every show. I had a book out to publishers. It was just like everything was going fantastic. And I had this big event, life-changing, followed by a mess of surgeries, um, trying to avoid more. Uh, but it was, it was a lot. And what was interesting about it, besides I've never said, I'm glad it happened, right? Yeah. Um, but I do get how it fits and how I can use it. But mm -hmm. one of the things that I've grown with is the, when it first happened, I was lying on a gurney and I had to be transferred to a special trauma center because there are only five doctors in the world that could operate on what I had managed to do to myself. Um, and I was lying in the hallway, drugged out of my mind, talking to the doctors and nurses about how I was going to use this to help me grow and help my clients and patients grow. I was like, I was literally drugged out, but I remember the conversations. I remember the nurses. I remember the doctors. I remember a lot of people thought I was crazy, but others were fascinated. Who is this woman? Like in this mega situation, having this conversation with us. What was interesting is that down the road, I realized that while it's a really good perspective, many of us wear it like a badge of, a badge of honor that we can push through anything and use it and the part that I didn't realize till a number of years later 
was that I hadn't really integrated the trauma. I hadn't really grieved the downside that something happened that not only I could barely walk for three years, I was in crazy pain for years, then it got better. Now it's been really bad again. It was life altering in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. And I do believe it was part of my purpose because I was one of those people like I could push through anything and I didn't get that full impact, which is a huge part of what high achievers do. We wear that like that badge. Like I can push through anything. I can compartmentalize, push it down, use it as fuel. That's a big one we talk about. And all of that has its place, but not at the cost of integrating the trauma and really healing through it and growing on a purpose, but not getting kind of, you know, it, you can even feel it if you think about it when you're in that place. Like I used it, but I wasn't really, I, I have a friend who's probably near a hundred right now. She's one of these old wise women. And we were talking about it one day. I was talking about what happened and she said, your work would never have had the depth. It was really good. Everybody thought it was deep. You were booked every place, but you would not have had the depth that you've come to. And it didn't come for a few years after the accident. Yeah. It didn't come right away. It was really after a lot of process where I was literally sitting on a Zoom with somebody. And it was like, it was just like, oh my God, this is not, it's just, it's not integrated. Well, some, sometimes I think too that that can be a weakness for people who are, who see themselves as high achievers. This this sort of mindset of I can push through anything. They don't stop to go, okay, what, what did I just push mm -hmm. through and actually go back and process that? They just get this sort of, I'm going to be a mental superhero and just crush everything. And, and they don't realize that sort of the toll that it takes. But, but also to your point, the lessons that you learn from it, from you know, from hitting that wall and, and then overcoming, right? Mm -hmm. Or from, from falling down and standing back up, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I think that, that can actually, it can be a, a problem for people. So how do you, how do you help people see that, <laughs> okay, see both sides of that coin, right? It's really, it's a really good question. And it's interesting what you're saying, because most of the, you know, quote unquote gurus or big marketers or big coaches, mentors teach that. They teach those high achievers, you know, push through. It's like, it really is what the goal is. And even if mm -hmm. more people are paying lip service to dealing with trauma, but they don't know how to do it in the depth. So your question, you know, would be hours, you know, more, but I'll give a quick answer. I mean, is it, yeah. you know, I mean, we studied it for years. Um, and I think people are getting on the trauma bandwagon, which is good and not good because there's a, there's a lot of, um, importance about how you approach trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's not to push through, it's not to re-traumatize and how you tell the story and you, you know, go over and over. So it really is a, you know, my dog training friends, the best of them talk about see the dog, right? It's like see the person. So I really think that it's one of the reasons that I am training coaches and consultants, because as therapists, depending on the kind of therapy you're trained in, you do learn more of this, you know, to be careful of the defenses. So it's to look at the trauma and help people not re-traumatize, not get stuck in reliving it over and over. Sometimes it's not even right to go through it. You have to know mm -hmm. your timing, but it's to build somebody up, to be able to deal with the mental, the emotional, 
the spiritual, the energetic, and the body, because trauma is stored in our body. So it really is helping people release in little bits. This is not like we do it in five minutes and oh, like I have this high and now I'm great. No, it's a process that can be very, you know, again, it depends on the person, but it can be slow. It's protective. It really is going to that place where it's different for everybody and some different mix for some people is more mental for some it's more in their body, but it really is learning to go there and release the trauma. And it is really cleaning it out on those different levels and how long it takes. You know, people always ask me, how long is this going to take? Um, you know, it's like, I don't know how long it's going to take. Cause I don't know how fast your system, like your nervous mm -hmm. system, how much protection you need. I mean, people, that's the whole thing about the resistance paradox is that people think resistance is bad. I think resistance is beautiful because it is one of the most protective mechanisms mm -hmm. that we have. The problem is that we're not supposed to push through it. We're supposed to like look at same as with trauma. Like, why am I resisting? What is that telling me? Often it's about trauma. How can I move through it in a way that's healthy for me? It's to me, again, it's, a, it's this incredible gateway. I just got a really nice comment made by someone. I'd done a podcast for their boss. And they sent me a message saying, uh, basically, Dr. K, like, since listening to the podcast, I see resistance totally differently. She was like, this is an amazing thing you're doing for the world. This is such a gift to the world. She said, I want to learn more. And I said, you just made my day. Because she went from this idea that most of us have that resistance is to be overcome. People always say to me, like, for marketing, like, you want to overcome resistance. No, you don't want to overcome it. You want to resolve it. You want to navigate it. You want to get the information and the richness. You want to get the gold from it, but you don't want to be stuck in resistance. You want to honor yeah. it, right? So all of this is related. Why do we resist? We're afraid of what's coming. We've had trauma. We're afraid to move and be, especially high achievers, right? Because you know the, they've got a couple of unique things. One is... They, if they've been a high achiever, they have a lot more to lose, right? Yeah. Um, whether it's true, money, true. family, family status, uh, whatever arena they feel they've achieved in, right? They've got more to lose. They're also really good. You were talking before, Maurice, about that manipulation. So put another way, they're really good at maneuvering what mm -hmm. they say, what they don't say. They can go into a coach or a therapist and they can just like bring them over here. I mean, all the way in another direction, right? And a lot of people can do it, but nobody does it as well as these high achievers. And why do they do that? They do it to protect themselves. Yeah. And so I'll often ask people when they are really in that, I just want to ask you a question. Are you, you know, in this, when they really seem to be stuck in it because you don't want to change? Or are you really asking me to help you to move through it? Because either one I'll respect. If you're not about that, you may not be the person to work with me because I really am much more about people that are like, okay, not like let's do it, push through, push down, but people who want to grow and resolve and release and move into their fullest power in a really positive way. They can be really creative and see infinite possibilities and have a lot of courage, but not courage because they're stealing themselves. Courage because they have really come to a point 
where they don't, they learn how to not get weakened by things for more than a little bit. I mean, they're humans. So all of us are going to feel things, but I teach people to like, you know, how when you're going to get a cold, you kind of feel it before, right? You kind of like have a sense. So one of the things that I teach people to do is to recognize the before, the before, the before of when they're starting to go weak about something so yeah. that it's easier to shift it. Not that you can't later, but it's much easier. So when you start to now feel, I can feel it, it's happening, then you can make those shifts and you can really start to choose who you want to be. So what I really look at it is that core of mastering your state, mastering your what I call the hidden power drivers, right? The hidden power drivers. So it's like people say transference is bad. No, transference, like how you react to somebody, like they remind you of somebody else, right? That's kind of a fancy way of saying it. It's used in the therapeutic relationship, but we all do it all the time. You meet somebody and you just don't like them or you don't trust them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's about them, but sometimes it's about somebody totally different. I teach people to feel that disconnection that they have or they're about to have all of these different aspects so that you really can start to move into being a different state of being, which is in us. It's not like I'm teaching Sam to be, you know, John um, or Sue. Uh, I'm teaching them to be more of who they truly are mm -hmm. in a way that it just kind of like, it feels very natural. It feels very light. Your body feels better. Not every single day. Sometimes people will walk out and say, Dr. Gay. Um, but mostly we laugh a lot when we're working. Mm -hmm. yeah. We laugh a lot because that process of transformation, while it can have pain, it can also have a lot of joy and a different way of looking at ourselves. You know, instead of being shamed or like thinking, oh my God, I did it again, we can kind of laugh about the integrity that we've had that's kept us from changing. Or how, you know, I always say that I'm the resistor in chief. Nobody knows it better than me. I do really good at resisting, really, really good at resisting so that I've learned it intimately. You know, how can I teach it? Been there, done that, and sometimes still enjoy it. And, you know, my husband will say, you know, you teach this and you're doing it. I'll say, yep, I am. But the cool <laughs> thing is when you own it, you can only do it for so long. Mm -hmm. So then I have to say to myself, okay, so you're doing this thing. How long would you like to be that? Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not really who you want to be in this life. So like 30 seconds, five minutes, five weeks, five, you know, like just your choice. And I think when it gets to the place where it's our choice, people will make better choices and get the help to live those choices. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think it's, it's so interesting. Once you come to the point to, first of all, knowing yourself and appreciating yourself for all that you are, right? It's an it's an interesting place to be because I, I remember I've been through a few years where I had like all kinds of injuries coming out of nowhere, mm -hmm. something on my foot, something in my knee, then I have back issues and whatever. And eventually my mom was telling me, maybe your body is telling you something. <laughs> maybe whatever you're doing is not right for you. And you have to figure out what it is that your body is trying to tell you, right? And you cannot work against your body. You cannot work against your 
Mm-hmm. You call it purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of love that description, right? You cannot work against your purpose because it's not going to work. You're going to mm-hmm. either spend too much energy or you're just not going to get there, right? Whatever that is, right? And you always have the feeling like something is missing. Mm-hmm. So that's the feeling. It's like whatever it is or whatever array of feelings, to feel them before so that you can start to laugh, like laugh not in a bad way yourself, but recognize, oh yeah, I'm doing that thing. Do I want to do something different? Who do I want to be? And I actually talk to people and give them exercises so that they make that choice throughout the day. And it's not like, oh my God, she's giving me this horrible homework, but it really becomes a part. Same as I was lying there on the gurney and I was thinking these questions, it wasn't time to integrate that. And it's interesting what you said about, you know, first of all, the body doesn't lie. If we pay attention, our body gives us information. And I heard somebody go back to the dogs, tell a dog story. And they were saying that they used to be afraid or work with people who were afraid of dogs. And they were no longer afraid, but they believed that they still had the belief. I think it's different. I think you can change your thoughts. Like, okay, now I know not all that. Yeah, that dog bit me, but most dogs aren't, you know, going to bite me. And certainly if I don't pull their tail and stuff like that, not too likely to happen, right? But we still have the trauma in our body. So we've got to be able to release it from the body. But the other tricky part is the story we make up about what our body is telling us. So when I got hurt and it was bad, I shattered my pelvis and my shoulder was damaged and my elbow was shattered and it was, it was bad. Um, and everybody that came over, was really uncomfortable because, you know, I'm not somebody, as you can tell, who kind of like likes to, I literally was not able to move my body side to side for five months. And then, you know, three years of craziness. And so people were saying, I tripped on an icy speed bump. So people were saying to me, oh, it must be God telling you to slow up. And I said, it's not called a slow up bump. I said, it's called a speed bump. So maybe God is telling me, get more focused, speed up. But what was interesting is I said to them, I'm not going to know, probably forever, I'll be learning things about this. You don't have, I always say big lessons, big big teachers, big lessons. And this was a big one, right? Um, And I always felt like piece of cake compared to some of my other lessons. But over the years, I've gotten additional pieces of what, what was in there to learn from that. None of it was about slowing up. But there were many, many, many things. So really like being open and tolerating the feeling. One of the things that I look at for everybody is that we need to increase capacity. A lot of people talk about resilience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they talk about bouncing back. I want to bounce forward. I don't want to bounce just back. And I don't want to fall. I have to be careful that I say that. But that idea of increasing capacity so that we have the capacity to think more thoughts to feel more feelings, to do more stuff with our energy, with our body, with our spirit, without shutting down. Yeah. Right? And so that to me is like increasing capacity, connection, courage. Those are the things that life really gives us that, you know, you said you like that, like living on, I like the on purpose because we're living on our purpose and we're living on purpose intentionally. So I kind of love that because it has both parts of that. When you say, you know, I'm on purpose, I'm on purpose in a lot of ways. So it's kind of fun. 
That's a Dolly Parton thing, right? The secret to a happy life is to figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. <laughs> and then do it on purpose. Yeah. Yep. Happy out here. What's the famous physicist's name again? Um, Hawkins. Steve Hawkins. No, Steve the other Hawkins. one. Um, I. Um, Tesla Rife. Afro American. He's all over the place. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Him, thank you. My name memory is, <laughs> but uh, I saw a bit of his where he said, in our DNA, or there's so many combinations for DNA that there is like room for billions and billions and billions of people. So from all the possibilities that you made it here, that Russ made it here, that I made it here, that is on purpose, right? You already won. You already mm -hmm. mean now billions of <laughs> potential humans mm -hmm. that are never going to make it, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's simply not enough time, literally, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting because it, it, it started off with so just my being here is already the first win, mm -hmm. right? Because I won so many times to just become a person. Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's an entirely different appreciation of one's life and one's situation right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that is something that I like quite a bit uh, in terms of because I, I see a lot of people that doubt right that doubt so many things about themselves about their situation about their life about their purpose and whatever what they are there for and I try to to some of them, I have a friend that is really struggling with it. I'm telling you, just be happy with what you got, right? Let's, let's start there. Let's appreciate what you got. And then you can relax for a second, take a deep breath and look at, okay, where you want to be? Because he, he doesn't have a direction in any shape or form. He's just angry. And that's, that's not going to work. So usually when you're stuck like that, there is a trauma response. The anger is a protection. So it's easy. I mean, it's not fun to be around. It's not easy to tolerate in somebody else. It's not easy to live with within mm -hmm. ourselves. But when I look at that, I always try and see what that anger is protecting the person from. Like if I were to look at it, I have this idea that um, everybody does the best they can always. Always, right? If they could do better, they would do better. And there are very few situations, even you look at somebody drinking, they can't handle the pain. You look at somebody, you know, and you say, how are they sabotaging themselves? And I always say, they're protecting something. And this is what I try and teach people to do themselves. What's the positive thing you're trying to accomplish in a way that's not working for you? So it's a really, it, it turns life around when you look at somebody and you say, why are they doing that? And you can say, oh my goodness, this is the best way they know at this moment to handle feelings that might devastate them. Um, you know, productivity, people learn all these tricks and they wonder why they don't work. Because when we're not productive, we're protecting something that's more valuable to us. It's not just, you know, they say, I've taken, you know, so many courses. I did a podcast years ago on productivity. And I came out and I said, this is not about, I'm not going to give you like your other guests, like three, you know, I did give some points, but like the, you know, the three tricks or tips, it's about really honoring the process. Doesn't mean staying with it and procrastinating, mm -hmm. but really looking like, 
what am I protecting? Why am I doing this? And it's yeah, that, usually not what shows up. It's not what your mm-hmm. first thought is, right? What, would it, what were you going to say, Ross? I was going to say that, that that sparks a thought that uh, over over the years, um, I think the classical teaching is like, you know, you set goals and then you make plans to achieve the goals and you measure your progress toward the goals. And, stuff. Um, and I've become not super anti-goal, but I know for me, goals are not great because I'll work like crazy and sometimes make really bad decisions just to hit the goal because it's been set for me. Mm-hmm. And and then I'm like, well, now don't care about it anymore because I've achieved the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing happens with people who talk about bucket lists. They're like, oh, I want to do this. It's on my bucket list. I'm like, well, what happens when you finish your bucket list? You die. That's, that's that's a dumb answer i don't that's a bad expectation um so i'm i've become much more engaged i think this is kind of what you're talking about right is how do you set up a system and a process that you're aware and you're mindful of what's going on um and that works for you over time and that you can then keep getting better and better and improve and learn more um but it seems to me, and maybe this is what you're saying too, is that it's it's a lot about the process of life, not necessarily about setting a goal and achieving a goal, which which a lot of high achievers, I think that's where they start. And and it makes sense because it, it I think they do have to learn that lesson, right? It's part of their journey. I mean, I've I've been interviewing a lot of high achievers, high achiever entrepreneurs for some writing that I'm doing, and I've always you know worked with them and done a lot of research. But it is true, like that goal. And proving that they're good enough, there's always been somebody in there, and most of them have stories back from when they're like seven years old. And like for me, my you know I was in second grade, um, but there's stories about something that happened that set them on that path. But I think they're really probably born into that path, the way mm-hmm. they're wired up and everything like that. So I think what you're what you're saying it really is about you know life is about this journey. Um, it's not just about the goal, unless your goal is to live fully on purpose. Um, you know, there's so many things that, you know, we can go to from here. I mean, one of the things I talk about is how people commit what I call subtle suicide. And it's not the way people normally see it. It's not just like in drinking or, you know, not exercising or eating themselves. So it's much more subtle ways that we shut ourselves down. And go off purpose. And I think your example of I achieved the goal, the goal really wasn't about the goal. Most times, the goal was a way to feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that goal is, you know, to really be moving into our potential and helping others in connection. I believe we're connected. And all, my path is not separate from your, yours and Maurice. And, you know, Maurice, I think you said it before about all of us getting at this moment together. It's like all the things that we've done that brought us to saying this to people right now, we are in this together. And we're at a time that we need to recognize this more than ever because there are, you know, forces that be that are trying to separate us from ourselves and from each other. And Greg Braden has been very, I read something of Greg's years and years ago that has stuck with me and it was part of my forming the Power Collaborative. And that is that idea that, it's not an idea. It's a. It's actually something he studied because he's a philosopher, engineer, mathematician. He's a really interesting person. That if the square root of one percent of a population prays in like a neutral way, not like oh my god, this has got to happen for something, the course of events change during the time they're praying. 
And he studied, it was climactic events, wars, I mean, rapes and assaults in a community. So to me, we couldn't have any more powerful proof that a square root of 1% is not that big a number. If we can come together within ourselves, right, and with other people and help them to not only be all that, that they can be, but get that we're connected, we can navigate some very challenging times now. So for me, that's one of the huge things. And it's one of the reasons that I'm now really moving. Let's get coaches. The, the industry is proliferating. Let's give them all the power in a good way that they need. Let's work with entrepreneurs and let's really help them move through the resistances, but not in a way that's going to burn them out and make them bitter or frustrated or superficial. Because I think, Russ, you're this great example of somebody who didn't go that route. And yet so many people, they just, they don't have that space in them. And they either burn out or they pick up the next project to not have certain feelings. Because when you take your path, you open to more feelings. If, if I just say busy and I set another goal and I just keep going like that, then I don't ever have to think about it. Right? Yeah. Or feel about it. Right. Yeah. Feel sure. about it. You know, everybody tells people change your thinking. And we don't change our thinking without changing our feelings and our mm -hmm. body. So that idea of changing our thinking is a force. It's kind of another way of like drugging our system. But if we're not supporting it literally in our energetic, in our body, in our emotions, then we're setting up a conflict. It's not going to last or we'll get sick or have accidents or something will happen because we're really, we're not, it's like, there's not an alignment there. It's forcing something. People always say like, you know, I can't, I keep, I keep going back and trying. I try to be positive. And we've got a lot of people now talking about toxic positivity, because when you do it in an unintegrated way, you're set up for trouble. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I work in the HR arena in general, because um, we have a software for benefits and um, employee appreciation. And every now and then I talk to a CEO and they talk about the, how they wished would be going back before Corona, because now employees are so demanding. Mm -hmm. They're so different. They don't want to come back to the office and whatever. And sometimes I'm like, I hate to break it to you. It's not going back. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, we've been through this global trauma and now we, everybody had time to really sit back, think about stuff and reconsider who they want to be and how they want to work and how they want to spend their time. Now what we have to do as, as companies, as entrepreneurs is to adjust to that, right? And to shift to going back to purpose, to create a purpose where people actually enjoy working in the company um, as, a, as a community, right? A company as a community and working on the topic that uh, the company is working on and um, yeah that seems to be a shift that not everybody is able to do right now uh, which part are they not able to talk about the companies yeah companies and especially the leadership in the companies mm -hmm. right to really say all right whatever we learned um, in the decades before 
all nice and dandy, but it's not going to help me for the future. I have to reconsider. I have to reposition myself and my company in terms of what does work look like? What is the so-called, I mean, that's a term that you read everywhere, but what is new work, right? How does it work? Uh, how does it work out at the end? And how do you create an integrative system that considers the individual that is your worker, but also the context in which that worker is coming to work in, right? Family, ambitions, all everything that is happening for that person. And I see that as a as a hugely challenging situation where I'm happy to see that a lot of the people coming up in HR seem to have a psychology background now, right? Especially the very young one, which I think is amazing because I, I haven't seen that before in that to that extent. Right. What yeah. is your impression when it comes to situations like this, like the Corona that we just been through and how society and also work society has to shift and should shift and really should reconsider what they're doing right now? You know, it's, this is a question that speaks to what you're saying specifically and really speaks to everything in the world. I mean, it's one of the reasons that um, I've really taken a lot of the work that I do and put it into this power matrix accelerator because people can't just go on history. So they've got to you know, do this adaptation and yet everything in them, you know, again, is making them hold on. People are scared. Uh, people are scared of more pandemics. People have gotten separate. So I always look at what I call culture hacking or really uh, it's like family therapy for corporations that you need. It's like, how do you really deal with the different psychological needs and different material needs of different parts of the parts of the, the, that system? And one of the problems is that more and more we are disconnected. So the worker that says, I'm not going back, they're, they're kind of like holding their ground. You even see it when I say, I'm not going back, but they're not looking at the other side. And the employer who says, you're coming back, they're not looking at you know, how we make that work. So we're really speaking to me, not only to um, what I think is huge is how we create culture in a company. And you said it, how do you create a culture where people, maybe they don't want to be there every day, but they want to be there. They feel that community. I mean, I think the answer to everything we're dealing with right now, really, I don't know about the answer to everything, but foundational to everything is community. Without community, we're going to be sunk. So I do think that we're going against uh, this whole divisiveness that happened even more during the pandemic. I think it's happening even more now, the way we look at the world. It's like, I was looking at it this morning. Um, I don't know when people are gonna hear this, but right now we have the wildfires in Quebec mm -hmm. and I'm in New York and it's been really pretty bad here. And yeah. so people are going from, uh, this is, the, the climate, this is, you know, Mother Earth telling us we have to be different. And then other people are saying, you know, you're nuts. This is really about some person that set the fires so that you would say that. And everybody's in their position. You know, it's that confirmation bias. Yeah. So I think foundationally, we really do need to go in and have real work on hearing each other. 
mm-hmm. really need not to have our power from that. I'm not going back. Yes, you are. It's like the dog thing. Same thing, right? Domination. <laughs> Who's the alpha? It all, always goes back to dogs, right? So it's the same thing. It's like, how do we go beyond that? I think we're at a place now in human history that we must go beyond it or we're going to be. We're not going to make it as a civilization. We're at a crisis point, but we're also at an opportunity point. And now is the time that we start to look at these issues. It's not this big power that we've been taught. It's not what I was taught when I went to school, whether it was about therapy or it was about growing up or, you know, even competition and how it was looked at, right? So now we are at a point that is very exciting at my best moments. Sometimes it's pretty scary. And it really (laughs) is about being invited into these conversations, being invited into companies, being invited by entrepreneurs to say, I don't know what to do. And really saying, okay, are you open to doing what you have to do? Are you open to helping them do what they have to do? It's not just bring me in to make, to make again, that make the dog, to make something happen. It's like, this is what we want to co-create. How are we going to create it? So we really need to learn more than ever how to be and how to help others be all they can be and how to do it in this connected way. So you're asking, how do I see it? I see it beyond what you're saying and crucial in what you're saying, but we've got to learn the skills of Mm -hmm. connection and holding the space. And I don't want to sound corny, but I'm going to like loving each other instead of coming from this place of I've got to stand my ground. So learning to stand your ground, that's really important, but learning to do it in a way that isn't through this place that's going to defeat you ultimately. It's going to burn you out. It's going to defeat you. It's going to leave you isolated. So how do we learn to do that? And it's not one side. So the you know fun thing, I always love group therapy and group mentoring. I always do a hybrid, like some individual and a lot of group, because things will never come up individually that come up in group. Mm-hmm. You just see different things. So to have that opportunity, to me, like people don't, you know, kind of look at me sometimes like, really? But really, it's like when I see a company struggling like that, I say congratulations, because now you have an opportunity to be part of not only making your company truly better. We're not putting a Band-Aid that you can get away with. You can make it better and be one of the ones that survive. And you can be making the world better. Or you're not. It's, you know, mission mm-hmm mission you know it's like this is your mission do you choose to accept it um so it's a very profound time in history human history and that is a place that's reflecting it in one of the very powerful ways with a very powerful opportunity to set the stage for families and school and all these different things so i don't know if that's a like deeper (laughs) answer than you were asking me for i've been accused I always ask for like three tips and we go, whoa, wait. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I think I think it is it is spot on. And we in we have so many, so many times in the recent in the recent decades where you're like, we missed that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. I think 9-11 was one of those opportunities, right? Where we could have just took a minute. And think about why would somebody do that, right? Why would they risk their lives, try to kill as many people as possible? Something is going terribly wrong. But obviously, as 
as a society, we're not there. And it doesn't matter if you're talking US or Germany or wherever, right? Uh, we are simply not there yet. And that is uh, almost a, a shame. But I want to pivot here for a second. Um, <laughs> looking at, and this might be a different a different spin, Ross, than what we usually do. Go for it. Usually, <laughs> usually Go we, for it. we ask the person, what would you, looking back at your 16-year-old self, what would you, what kind of advice would you have for Dr. K at age 16? But I'm not sure it's going to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> Already started doing what you're doing at in it's second, second grade, grade. yeah. So, so about grade. your what about your one year old self? Which yeah. you're, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I kind let's of give it a been, shot. But I do think. Well, it's interesting because I think on the one hand, um, you know, that's a question you get asked. So I had a chance to think about that in that context, and you know, I have been very much on my path, right? Um, for better or worse, my mother hated it. Um, my father had a mixed reaction to it, like, yeah, for others, not for him. Um, but I was definitely not the child my mother was bargaining on. You know, this is not what she was looking for. Um, but what's interesting is if I look at what I've been through, and I think what all of us have been through, we do have themes that recur. So on the one hand, the one thing that does come to mind Yes, I was doing it then. And if you'd looked at me, you would have said, oh, you're doing it. But I can look at so many times that it still comes up. And that is, and I, you know, if I look at what I'm here to do, it's one of, I do have kind of three things, Russ, that I kind of can throw Go out. For it. <laughs> um, but one of them is self-trust. And so I think mm -hmm. a lot of my path, you know, I love, I think I, there's no place better for me than a podcast about crazy people, right? I mean, it's just perfect. Um, and most of the people that I work with are different. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the things that happened one day, the person who does my website, who's a friend, he said to me one day, he said, Dr. K, he said, you think you like working with entrepreneurs? He said, but what you really like are working with people who are different. You like working with the ones that are out there that are kind of doing it their way that are not giving in, giving up. So I, and I went and I told my daughter, who was a teenager at the time, and she got this big smile. She said, like, that's true. You know, it's just that entrepreneurs, you have more of them than you mm -hmm. have in other places. So for me, growing up um, in a family that did not, uh, they were certainly about limitations in some ways. Other ways, they were like, oh, you got 100 on the test because you've gotten 120. You know, 100 not good enough. They were serious. My father was dead serious. Um, in a lot of ways, there was the encouragement to go beyond, but in a lot of ways, there was the, who do you think you are, right? That did put a lot of doubt. And I think part of my purpose, it is helping people step into their fullest power, create their life on their terms, right? But also not on their terms against other people, but in connection. And part of that is self-trust. And so even though I appeared and in many ways had a lot of self-trust and did a lot of things that took a lot of courage. And I, when I think about some of the things I did as a kid, I'm like, oh my God, did I really do that? Um, <laughs> but I still think self-trust comes up for me. Mm -hmm. And I do know you've got to separate self-trust like intuition from wisdom because intuition doesn't always tell us the truth. We've got to learn when we can trust it or when it's kind of moving us on a path that's like an old pattern and it feels comfortable. So it's not just you know, intuition, but 
I have, to, I still play with the issues. Well, most people would say, oh my goodness, you really, you know, have that confidence, have that self-trust. Some of my most profound experiences have been around that. So at 16, even though I looked like I had a lot of self-trust, it's one of the things I'm here to help people with. So it comes up. And it was one of the things that, that I learned about my accident. One of the ways, wasn't the only one, but one of the things that um, helped my fall, like helped me to fall, was I'd gotten out of the car. It was icy, dark, right? And one of these under, underground garages. It had been a stormy weekend. And um, I walked a few feet and I turned around to double check to double check, to check on myself that I had locked the car. My father was an insurance agent. I always locked the car. Okay, that is not something I don't do. <laughs> but I turned around and it is on my list of things that if I had trusted myself, maybe I would have fallen anyway. There are a lot of other lessons in there, but maybe I wouldn't have. There was a very dark speed bump that you could not see. It was black. There was no yellow. When I went back to take pictures, there was yellow around it. My family went back and, you know, like, oh, now there's yellow. But there wasn't. So self-trust, even though I had a lot of it and a lot of it for a 16-year-old, and I clearly had a lot of, I, I don't know if I want to call it courage or what I want to call like being in second grade and opening mouth like that to a teacher. Um, I don't know what would be best to call it. And maybe it was just like, the unwavering, they're just things that I will not, I, I just won't stand by for. But I do think that despite that, there have been some very powerful times that I did not trust myself and lived with some very painful reminders. So now when people get mad at me or they'll say, um, the way you're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll really, I will take in if it's somebody, I respect their advice and I'll think about it. But ultimately, I know that if I don't follow my guidance, I can have big problems, awful pain. Mm -hmm. So I always say trust myself more. I did things that looked self-trusting at 16, but I did them in a push way. I was the queen of willpower. And I think most entrepreneurs, are we are really expert at willpower. And it's taken a lot of work. And even though I've been there for many, many years and taught it for many years, to shift from willpower to willingness mm -hmm. and then to learn to do things from here, right? From my body, I functioned on my head. I've been very sick a lot of my life. I've almost died a whole bunch of times. And so it was like a thing, like I could live without my body. I could just make anything happen for my head. So really being okay with some of those challenges and then learning to be integrated. I mean, I, you know, I developed, I was the first one to use the term integrative therapy because I saw the limitations of just thinking therapy or just body therapy. I knew you had to do this multidimensional approach to things. So at 16, I acted on a lot of things that people would say, you know, you're crazy um, or be angry or be whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't do it with an ease in my being. Mm -hmm. I did it with determination. I did it with fight. I did it with, you know, not proving others wrong, but I had to prove that, you know, I could shatter that limit. Um, 
did it help me? It helped me a million times. I mean, I've got a child that I adopted from Vietnam in a process that usually takes years. And I was there in eight days. And I had a lawyer who said, you want to come in and I'll tell you why it can't be done. He was going to charge me $450. I said, how about after I do it, I'll come back and tell you how I did it. You could pay me $450 or more because it'd be useful skill. <laughs> I was in Vietnam by day eight, um, which was incredible, right? And I do love miracles, but it's doing these things not like this, which does burn you out. Mm. And it's a certain nervous system that entrepreneurs, we are, we're wired up for it. Most of us have had trauma that we've turned to our benefit. We haven't let it stop us. Mm. Most of us really like, we're not, you know, we're really proud of a lot of things we should be proud of. And yet, if we don't shift how we accomplish, we will not get as far as we want. We will not have our full potential. And there will be leakage someplace, whether it's relationships, whether it's our sense of peace, whether it's our sense of like autoimmune illness, right? Someplace, something. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is people usually come to me through the door of business, not always, but usually. And so I have programs in different arenas, but one of the big things is coming to me as an entrepreneur or a CEO, a professional to move. Well, it's almost never the route. So you can come and you can say, I can't get past the million market, the three million market, whatever it is. And you think it's a business problem. And you've been to a whole lot of people and they've given you really great stuff. And amazingly, it hasn't worked for you, right? So what I do is, is look at what it's really about. It's usually something more vulnerable. It's true. We do have a business problem because we haven't been able to break that barrier. Mm -hmm. or our employees keep leaving or hiring bad people or whatever. It is true. And so we can really get all involved. Most, most coaches will go down that and help you hire better people and give you strategies. But if you don't get to the fact that maybe you're afraid if you get really successful, that your health won't support you or that your brother will be jealous or that whatever it is for you, if you don't address that, something in that success curve is going to happen. Something's mm. going to happen someplace. So it's like, yes, we have to look at what you're doing in the business, the culture you're creating, how you're treating employees, how you're hiring, all those things. But for me, if you don't have this ability to work with your power drivers, to move into like this real true power state, you are not going to maximize. You might get pretty far, but not as far as you can, not in the healthiest way, not with your relationships intact, and not with a sense of just like that ease and joy that Russ, you, you know, you kind of talk about that. You're not going to have that in mm -hmm. the same way. So for me, that's really you know, a lot of my mission is it's shattering limitations, but it's shattering them in a way that our quality of life and our purpose and our connection with each other and with ourselves, because one of the biggest disconnects, and I, you know, I'm pro at understanding that I did it. I did it to survive. I disconnected. And one of the things I did was I reversed engineered how I did it. I didn't know I was doing it when I was 16. But actually, I was doing it at 16. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned later how I did it to protect myself. And then I went back, reverse engineered it, saw it in so many others. Once you see it, it changes everything. But then you still have to learn 
how to do something different, not just how to not do that. It's like a lot of people talk about scaling and they say, oh, the boss won't let go. Well, telling somebody to let go is terrifying, but telling them to reach for something else mm -hmm. that they can reach for and pick up in their hand is a whole different scenario. Which, so, which is right where we started talking about dogs, right? When you <laughs> force them to do something versus uh, give them some incentive to, to try something else. To right? try something else and, yeah. and from a different way. And so I have to just say, I love the crazy, I love this crazy people part. I love it. Um, it like Maury said at the beginning, this is kind of how we go back and forth and around and, and never I do a straight line. Yeah. yeah, I have some friends who, you know, that drives them crazy. They like, they're like this and we joke about it. To me, this is what it is. And the people that I work with, the people that really come to me because they do want that huge growth in an integrated way and a respectful way to others, um, that they get it. Um, you know, my favorite compliment from people is they say to me, Dr. K, you get me. You get me in a way that nobody else does. And I know you can help me or you help me in a way nobody else did. Mm -hmm. And part of that is my relationship to crazy. It's not just like it's cute or funny or I get it because, you know, I've been accused of it. And in doing this, I kind of have been watching how often I will use that word when I'm, you know, texting or something. Um, but it's also that I've really integrated mm -hmm. the deep meaning of people who have that, you know, whether it's being different. My favorite quote in life is Steve Jobs quote about, you know, the ones who are different, that they're the ones who change the world right? Mm -hmm. um, that really is my favorite quote. And so difference, crazy in an integrated way, we are the people together who can have a vision and can make it happen. And that's what's really exciting. So, you know, it's like crazy podcast. This is home. Um, <laughs> I love what you guys are doing, whether it's all around or whatever, or just that topic of really embrace. And, you know, it's like, I might do a blog post about embracing your crazy, but in mm -hmm. an integrated way, not just like, oh, I'm crazy, because that's what we get accused of. Mm -hmm. You're different, you're crazy, you don't fit. There's a lot of woundedness in people that laugh about being called the crazy, a lot of deep wounds. And yet when you can integrate it, fully embracing that tough stuff about us, that for most entrepreneurs, everyone that I've interviewed, maybe one or two, but almost everyone. And I've interviewed a lot and worked with a lot and done workshops with a lot. They all say they were different. They all felt different. And I see it in session. If somebody brings me a family with a two-year-old or I listen to somebody of 40 or 60, they tell me the same things about themselves. It's like, it, it's just mind boggling to me to hear like a two, three, four-year-old talk about not fitting in being different they're not like the other kids they see things they know things um and then to hear the same stories at 40 or 50 or 60 and beyond and hear how they felt that way all their lives so i'm so excited to be sharing you know really having this conversation uh, i hope we can do it again this is just really we definitely we definitely have to because oh yeah quite frankly i have more open question now than i had <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm just delighted. I'm delighted at what you guys are doing. I'm delighted to be part of your world. I feel like 
it's these kind of, you know, it's like, so Russ and I, we have like a, like a whole hour to beyond, you know, what we've known each other, but I feel like I've been like, we are connected beyond just in these moments. Yeah. Um, and that feels very powerful, but more, it feels very special. So I thank you both. Yeah. Thank you. Cool stuff. stuff. It's yeah. absolutely our pleasure, Dr. K, to have you on here. And we definitely have to do that again. Okay. <laughs> and also a, a big thank you to Aaron Schmuckler who, uh, who introduced us. Right, so, yes. Yes. Yeah. Aaron, if you're listening or if not, you'll get a, a message later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's really, um, I, this, we are the people that need to be together and connected, mm -hmm. not to disconnect from the others. Um, this is not exclusionary. But it's very powerful. Yeah, you got to love these I new connections. Just good, good, good stuff. Yeah. So I want to say congratulations on what you guys are doing, um, if I can help in any way. Um, and I know that we're going to do things that are going to make a difference together, besides sharing dog pictures. Um, <laughs> besides that, but that's really pretty. Like you know, that's very special. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? So I thank you both. I look forward to doing it again. And I look forward to anybody that's listening. Um, I am a connector. So I know you're going to post my information. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're interested in one of my programs, reach out. If you're not, but you want to connect, reach out. Um, let me know what's resonated. Ask your questions. Um, I want to connect because I think we're here together in this. There's nothing, there's nothing more I can add. Everything that you said. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest, Dr. K. Thank you so much for everybody who listened and watched uh, this podcast. And uh, new episodes are coming. Stay tuned. And uh, we are looking forward to your kind of grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.